Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. I'm Mark Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I am joined today by Professor Julie Allen of BYU's Comparative Arts and Letters Department. Professor Allen has published numerous books and articles related to Danish culture and film, and anything I should add. (laughs) And um, I'm thrilled to be able to talk with her today about the 2013 Swedish and Danish co-production, We Are the Best. Welcome back to the podcast, Professor Allen. Thanks, it's my pleasure. Um, to briefly set up the film, it takes place in Stockholm in 1982 and centers around three teenage girls who form a punk band at a time when punk has been displaced by New Wave and maybe other pop. We can talk about that. Um, I'd like to just start with a really broad question of what you see as important general themes in the film. Well, obviously, because it's about 13-year-old girls, it's looking at childhood. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a common theme in Moodyson's production. The director is Lucas Moodyson. And he writes a lot about children. His, his most famous film, Show Me Love, is about young girls falling in love. And, and so I think this is trying to get at that experience, but definitely from an adult perspective. Mm-hmm. I also think, obviously, music is central to the film as an expression of identity, as a way of finding community, and the fact that there's these discrepancies in what kind of music is desirable. And even just the way that Ebba Grön functions as a bond with Clara and mm-hmm. it gets, Elis doesn't like Ebba Grön. So Clara sort of denies her own musical desires to attract this boy. Um, and so just trying to understand like how music functions as a signifier for a lot of other sort of aspects of identity. Yeah. L- let's talk about the music for a minute. So the girls form this punk band at first it's just the two of them um they're so terrible yeah they don't play music at all i think they ask if drums have chords yes 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 i love that i mean i relate hate the sport yeah i didn't watch the super bowl I mean, confession Jim so. was definitely my my hardest class in call in high school yeah i mean so it's it's a relatable topic but they just kind of serendipitously i don't know just off the cuff well, sign it's, up it's more than it's, it's i think it's, it's already it's sort of a punk move right that like the boys have been harassing them the boys in iron fist they've been harassing them they're making noise they won't turn it down and they didn't follow the rules and so the girls sign up in the spot just out of sheer cussedness yeah and the boys i think jokingly well jokingly maybe meanly misogynistically call them the prettiest girls right, in town yeah. and they're, right? they're so mean to them and they're like they're like oh i get so horny looking at you like it's just so crude and cruel to these mm-hmm. girls who are just looking for a place to belong like they end up at the youth center because there's nowhere else for them to go mm-hmm. and then even there they get harassed by these guys and so it's just i think just they're just angry mm-hmm. and so it's a chance to like get a little bit back and then punk is a great uh, style for that you know right and honestly i mean and it famously doesn't really require so much <laughs> talent as as a spirit you know right. uh but so bringing hedwig in who actually can play the guitar who does know things about music who has none of the rage that they're feeling is such a, a fabulous narrative move yeah so let's talk about hedwig for a minute like she has this transformation in the film um she's uh pretty buttoned up and she's musically has actual talent so that helps them immensely um maybe not the type of person to be in their friend group and also her christianity there's like a big deal made of that so tell talk a little bit about hedvig and her um you know her her incorporation into the group and maybe how her christianity relates to it sure so i feel like clara and bobo 
are already outsiders. I mean, they stand out like they, the, the mean girls make fun of them and say like it'd be so cute if you grew your hair out you know and so they stand out but Hedvig also is an outsider and she's outside for for completely different reasons in Sweden where being religious is not considered acceptable anymore she stands out because she is and she's straight laced when everyone else is trying to be liberated and so you have these opposite extremes that then meet in the middle kind of like at Walden yeah. <laughs> school right where um, my daughter went and mine did as well <laughs> and I loved it it was a great place for her but, uh-huh. but it, it did seem that you, you found people on both ends of the spec the political spectrum mm-hmm. who met there because the mainstream was not where they wanted to be for, right. for very different reasons right and so for me Hedwig is that person and I don't know I think transformation might be too strong a word I think she grows right but she doesn't really abandon her beliefs when she does swear once at the end of the film um <laughs> And she cuts her hair, but I think it's much more subtle than that. She sort of sheds her Christianity, which is what Bobo and Clara are hoping. Like they say, we'll recruit her and we'll you know, teach her how to be an atheist. And they sort of challenge her on her beliefs. And there's that really awkward encounter with her, her mom mm-hmm. after they cut her hair. But she and she's embarrassed by her mom's behavior, mm-hmm. but she doesn't really disavow her faith either, which Moodison also has not done. He's very prominently right. a public Christian in Sweden which makes him weird to people. Right. Is the, I, I don't know much about the demographics and religion. Could you maybe explain like how, it, how does, how does Christianity fare in Sweden compared to say agnosticism or atheism? Yeah. I mean, Sweden has been Christian since the Viking era, mm-hmm. right? So roughly a thousand years. Um, but they severed their ties until the mid 19th century. They were, it was very, very tightly controlled. It, like even the first LDS missionaries who were sent to Sweden were kicked out because mm-hmm. there was no, no religious freedom. But when they cut their ties, they cut their ties a lot more dramatically than they did in Norway or Denmark. And Sweden has rapidly secularized to the point that it's considered very strange for people to be Christian. Yet most people are still members of the state church. Mm-hmm. Like you go to the church for confirmation and for baptism and marriage and, and burial but you don't believe. And so it's a very interesting tension for someone like Moodison to say, like, I'm making these really socially provocative films mm-hmm. out of a conviction, a Christian conviction. Yeah. And I mean, there is an influence that she has on them, I think, mm-hmm. in opening their minds to difference. Yeah. And, and... and also helping them feel love. I mean, Bobo is her mom is so focused on herself and her own relationships and when she cuts her hand in the scene with the, the yarn that they've scavenged, uh-huh. um, Hedvig's the one who steps up and comforts her and teaches her how to wash the hand and bind it and mm-hmm. gives her hugs. And they, they're always giving each other hugs, which they didn't really before. And yeah. she brings this, this really almost Christ-like love into the relationship that even though they're out to convert her away from Christianity, mm-hmm. she, she lives her beliefs. Yeah, it's a really, it's such a like affirming, um, compassionate film that that really celebrates um, friendship. And uh, in some cases, like the, a friendship that provides something that maybe is lacking in the parental uh, realm, you know, in their families. Oh, Could absolutely, you, yeah. Like, what do, what do you think about the kind of contrasting parental figures in the film? No, I think it's fascinating because Sweden does have some of the highest percentages of single person and single parent households in the world, partly because the state make sure that people have a place to live and mm-hmm. so people can afford to live on their own and divorce rates are high and marriage rates are low. And so, so Bobo's family in many ways is typical, hmm. whereas Clara's family with three kids and parents that are together is maybe less typical, but they live in a f- small apartment uh-huh. and they're on top of each other all the time. They're fighting about laundry, which is a big deal when you live in an apartment building. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then Hedvig has, you know, her. I don't think we ever see a father, her mom and her sister. Right. 
and so sort of a nuclear family. And so you have these three models, but all of them, all the girls feel abandoned or at least feel like their needs are being met. You know, right. that, that Bobo just wants her mom's attention. And when her mom comes home after the breakup and Bobo goes in to talk to her, her mom calls on the phone and starts talking to a friend, right? Right. And Clara it wants less. She wants her dad to stop walking with his clarinet uh-huh. and to stop being so much part of her life. And Hedwig wants her mom to let her have some agency. Like she chooses to cut her hair. Uh-huh. And her mom acts like she's been abused and was going to report the friends to the police, right? And <laughs> yeah. so I do find that, you know, they're that that age where they want to make more decisions than they're allowed to. And and the decisions they want to make are very different. I think mm-hmm. Bobo wants to be closer to her mom, but she doesn't seem to care about her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Clara wants more space, and, and Hedwig just wants to be able to decide her own fate. And so they give each other some of that space, but not entirely, because that rivalry between them is also very much a part of it. And adding a third person into Bobo and Clara's relationship allows Bobo the freedom to be discontented. Yeah. You know, and to right. really lash out and to go after Alias herself when she thinks that Clara's no longer interested. And that, I think, really felt authentic to me of what it's like to be a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I I read that one of them, when they're, so they're all 13 in the film. Well, I think Hedwig's a little bit older. Yeah. Oh, oh, is she? She's in the 8th grade, and they're in 7th. Okay, right. But one of them was 11 when they were filming? Oh, wow. And one was 13 and one was 14, Okay, I guess. I, I'm not sure if I can uh, say which one. I think 14 was Hedwig. Hedwig. Okay, that would make sense. She's um, taller than them as yeah. well, yeah. Um, the, I read an interview, um, with the director where he said, I feel like I'm part of a Swedish or maybe Scandinavian tradition of taking children and young people seriously. How do you feel about that? Oh, I think he's absolutely right. Like you think back to the beginning of children's literature, literature for children, not literature about children, because mm-hmm. like, Dickens writes about children, right. but no child in the world looks at Oliver Twist and thinks, oh yeah, that's me. Like doesn't right. doesn't resonate, right? And going back even farther to sort of the Struvelpeta, like scare children into obedience kind of model. Hans Christian Andersen in Denmark in the 1830s, when he starts writing, is one of the first people to really write for children mm-hmm. and to see like you see the world in this magical way. And like let me express that. Then Astrid Lindgren in Sweden, who wrote the Pippi Longstocking books, oh, yeah. is another huge, huge figure in that as is Tove Janssen in Sweden, who writes The Moomin Troll Family, um, which I think is a, a pretty big influence mm-hmm. on um, Coco Moodison. That's one of her favorite writers. Oh, yeah. And so Well, and she... So um, this is based on something that she wrote. Yeah. Maybe, uh, like, she does... Does she do uniquely graphic novels, or...? Um, I, I think she intended to go into... Um, was it art? Like, museum, and then she decided to write instead, and, and she... So she draws... Mm-hmm. Um, and writes these stories. And I only know this one, Always Good Night. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, and the narrative is very close to the film. Her art style is very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people find it kind of off putting. And the real life incarnation of the film is, I think, more relatable. Uh-huh. I think she makes it, I mean, it's all black and white, it's very right. much line drawings. And, right. um, but I think she has this same affinity with Tove Jansson, who makes you identify with people that don't look like human, like mm-hmm. the, the, the Moomins are all kinds of shapes, right? Mm-hmm. And you start to recognize that it's not the shape that makes a person. Mm-hmm. And this model, that the, the theme that sort of goes through the film is that you can't judge people by their haircuts or their right. scarves as to whether or not they're like you, right? It's, right? it's beneath all those things. Yeah, you know, it strikes me that not all of the adult figures either in this are caricatures or are bad per se. You know, they may make the kind of mistakes that the parents make. But the the <laughs> director, I guess he's is he the director of the youth center that mm. that goes with them on the, on their big performance, right? <laughs> I'm so disappointed in them. 
I love the yeah, I love the music that they that they come up with. Um, but I, I do think that yeah, I think the adult figures have room to be good and bad and to be conflicted. I and mean, the mom obviously loves Bobo, mm-hmm. but it just isn't isn't connecting with her, isn't trying very hard, is much more proactive with her own life. Kalana's parents clearly love her too, and you know, trying to be mm-hmm. part of her life the way that I find myself often with my children. I have a 13 year old daughter and I'm like, Hey, let's talk about things. Let's uh-huh. you know, things that you care about. And she's like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's very relatable, frankly. Um, the, the film was pretty popular, um, when it came out, I hear in Sweden, um, anyway. And I mean, I think it, it did as well as a foreign film does in the U S um, they, I know that I read that, um, I can't remember if it was Moodyson or his wife that said, I hope at least one 12 year old girl will see it and start a band. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good, uh, good message, but it is curious that, right. They decide to use punk music, um, at a time when really people are saying punk is dead and it's not what's going on in the music scene at the time in Sweden. I think it's fascinating that he makes this film in 2012 and sets it in 1982. Mm-hmm. And so you have this big gap and it's partly because it's based on this autobiographical story from his wife. And that's when she was growing up. Right. And so that's the world she's in. And Sweden, of course, is kind of coming out of the ABBA era uh-huh. in the seventies and hasn't yet got to the Max Martin pop era mm-hmm. that we're in now. And there's this moment of sort of anything's possible. Right. Right. And for a society that's been very homogenous, that, that has, a right way to be i think punk answers this this need to be different like a way to break out and so the girls find the guys who also have a punk band and so like we decide if punk is dead like who decides you know and there's all these discussions about what is punk hair and uh-huh. and when clara's older brother tries to help bobo do her hair in a more punk fashion which is actually a lot like the way alice does his hair mm-hmm. i think it's a, a a really beautiful moment to recognize that that punk is as punk does yeah, uh, it doesn't have to be popular. In fact, if it was popular, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because. I mean, that's the that's the point. Is it's a, a genre for for the marginalized, for outcasts, for the disenfranchised. Yeah. It's um, and obviously they relate to that. You know, you mentioned the other band that they're what's it called that they're obsessed with is well, similar. The, the three boys. Um, yeah, the three boys. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the band, but but they're like another holdout, right? Still yeah. doing punk, and they travel to go see them. It's this very. It just really definitely felt authentic to being a young teenager, where three you know three girls three guys and they're between themselves talking about who's gonna go after yeah, which right which and then, one and when there's only two boys then the whole thing falls apart <laughs> yeah and i think that's that that subset subtext of bobo wanting to be loved like watching her mom mm-hmm. having different boyfriends and her feeling unattractive and unwanted and you know sort of an androgynous haircut androgynous clothing mm-hmm. but really wanting connection and and so that I think that's one of my favorite parts, just this sort of poignant, like when she calls him, like, oh, can I talk to Alice? And, uh-huh. You know, like, I remember that all too acutely from being 13. Yeah, it feels it's so sweet and tender and youthful. And yet it's, you know, to these people who are saying that they're punk and yeah exactly you know, it's just these, these sweet soft shelled crabs not lobsters yeah, exactly yeah um 
What do you think about the relationship between the band, you know, Iron Fist that they first because they, mm-hmm. they end up um, I don't know if we can call it going on tour, but having a performance with that band mm-hmm. um, there that's at the youth center that they kind of displace initially to get the room to practice in. Um, you know, do you think that they represent a kind of like misogyny within the within the genre or in general, or is it more benign than that? I mean, I don't think it's entirely benign. I think the fact that the boys, the sort of the boys will be boys, like mm-hmm. they can say, you know, crude things and they get the practice room. I, I really appreciate the youth leader standing up for the girls and letting them have the yeah. practice room, even though they really only signed up out of spite yeah. right? to, to get the, to get the boys back for the things they were saying. But still, the boys would get preferential treatment. And at the end, the audience is much kinder to the boys mm-hmm. than it's the girls' band. And especially because they're marketed as a girl band. And right. She bond. And like, that's not, the girls have protested that label. And when they don't uh, present as girls, like uh-huh. they present as punk, right. then people start yelling at them and throwing things. And, um, and then the news leader's like, oh, no, no, Iron Fist really won this one. And so I feel mm-hmm. like there is this pervasive undervaluing of the female mm-hmm. in the society that's depicted, which is reflected, I think, in the fact that Sweden in the last 20 years has developed a feminist party. That that's their their really only agenda is to get women more representation wow. and rights. Wow. Even in a state that has a lot of female rights, right? But they feel like uh-huh. I mean it's kind of, I guess, <laughs> like the French during the revolution, it wasn't because things are so bad, it's because they knew they could have better, right? Right. And here it's not because women are so disadvantaged, but because they know better. Like they should have more. Right. Wow. And so political, politically, is the representation in, in government positions and things yeah, pretty so they, decent? There for... was a, an interesting photo op um, in the um, previous presidential administration here. There was a, a bill that was signed for women's health care when all the signers and signatories in the photograph were men. Mm-hmm. And so the Swedish um, government staged a photo op where all the signers were women on a bill <laughs> just to say, like, you can do this. Like, this is a thing that can be done. Nice. Nice. That's, that's really good. The one thing that strikes me about sort of the feel of the film overall is that it just somehow feels so fluid and real and lighthearted. It doesn't, it doesn't feel um, like it's trying to be artsy in any way. There's no point where I'm like, Oh, look at how that shot is composed or look at the choice of aspect ratio or the way that it just, you know, what, why do you think that is? Or do you, or do you agree well, with that take? I, I do think there is, there is attention to cinematogra- cinematographic detail. Uh-huh. Like in the opening scene of the mom's birthday party, the first time we see Bobo is through the hips of the adults that are standing. So it's mm. very carefully framed that you have all these adults. We can't see their heads or their feet, just the sort of So, so they're almost Charlie Brown adults. Yeah. And then <laughs> right. through that, you see Bobo just sitting there and like, it's, it's she, she's, she's got the lighting and everything mm-hmm. else is sort of slightly out of focus. And so there's things like that. But you think about the set, I mean, it's very much not made pretty and their house is very functional and utilitarian mm-hmm. and their costume or their costuming is, is very sort of authentic, you know, found costumes, right. I think. But I think that's all deliberate choices to make it feel like the 1980s. Exactly. Authentic to well, that time. Well, and that's the thing about it, that the fact that it feels so authentic and that it you don't sense artifice in it. Yeah. I think it doesn't feel like we're doing a period piece you know we're doing it's and and somehow it's like that requires maybe more skill yeah than saying i'm gonna make it hyper stylized doesn't have like sort of glossiness of a lot of period pieces where you're like that's not what it really looked like when they go out to these um swedish well it's not a suburb they call it its own town right Uh like these are actual swedish housing developments like the 
bridge where they have a confrontation between Clara and mm-hmm. Bo at the end. I mean, you could find that in any Swedish housing development, right? And so mm-hmm. it feels very much like a little bit like the Dogma 95 filmmakers idea. Yeah. Like, we're going to use what's here. We're not going to add a lot of stuff. Like the music is music that's playing in the parties that's uh-huh. being, you know, being put on. Um, so that you feel like you're being dropped kind of like into one of Dumbledore's memories. Uh-huh. Right? Like, here we are just remembering what was it like to be a 13 year old girl in 1982? Yeah, it's I, and that's amazing. I mean, I have no idea what it's like to be a 13 year old girl here or in Sweden. And yet it feels like it really gives you a taste of of that and the kind of just longing to be taken seriously mm-hmm. or to have a voice or to have a friend group. Yeah. You know, I know there's a moment when one of them says they don't feel like they have a friend. I can't remember which one. And 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 another one says, you now know, you have two. You have yeah. two. And that's to even have one is yeah. something, but to have two is really special. Yeah. And I I love that, you know. It's not about accumulating followers in right. social media. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I really, really enjoy that Moodison doesn't focus on the mean girl part of it. Yeah. You have that initial sort of moment where the girls are mean, you have occasional moments like when they're entering the youth center that the girls like brush them off. But it's really more about the positive side of it. Like right. let's really see what it feels like to be a, a girl trying to make it in the world, trying to understand your parents, trying to understand um, friendship and love and romance and independence. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even when is it Bobo who kind of antagonizes um, Hedvig about religion or is it's it Clara, Clara. Yeah. when Clara does, then she's, um, you know, like they're, they, they want her to listen to or the, or the, she has, plays the song, hang God, hang God, yeah. which, and then the other one is kind of like, that's mean, you know, why yeah. are you doing that? But then she justifies it by saying that, um, you know, if God didn't exist, you couldn't hang him. You couldn't hang him. So he was not really, real. So See, it's, really it's Christian. Christian. <laughs> it's a Christian song. Yeah. yeah. Cause, Cause none of them is malicious, right? They're all just trying to find their way in the world. And I feel like Moodison really gives us that, that sincerity. Yeah. And it does ultimately um, humanize everyone in the film. And I think it makes you feel, um, I mean, I think it's a really uplifting film, frankly. That's why I'm, I'm really glad that we're doing it international cinema. I hope a lot of people will go see it. It's, I, I just love this film. Yeah. Any last thoughts on that? But after that, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, I just feel like we often expect more cohesive narratives in mm-hmm. our in our films and this one doesn't have that it doesn't really resolve into yeah. anything and it doesn't have a bad guy to fight right. against like it it again like dogma 95 it fights against a lot of the tropes that there has to be this big confrontation mm-hmm. there has to be somebody who gets defeated and that's not the case this is just very ordinary life yeah but so beautifully depicted like from a time that we have lost access to in our own memories um right be able to see that and and be reminded of just how much good there is in the world, even when you feel all alone, like these girls do. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. I, yeah, I I guess it really shows that you don't need to have a dramatic event, uh, uh, you know, violence, um, you know, a major conflict to make a film that's engaging, you know, and it it really is thoroughly engaging, at least, at least to the adult audience. (laughs) Maybe you want to share. What did your 13 year old think of that film? Yeah. So I did have my 13 year old try to watch it with me and she was excited about the premise, but she thought it was just really slow. And so Uh we watched the first 20 minutes and she's just kind of twiddling her thumbs. It's like, when does this get interesting? And so I let her go and I thought it is very much a nostalgic look back Mm -hmm. more than like help you feel as a 13 year old, like you were seen. Right. It's for more those of us who have been 13, not (laughs) those of us who are 13. And no longer have to be in that awkward state. Looking back and with a little bit of, you know, rose tinted glasses on like, Oh, it wasn't so bad. I mean, my, 
my seventh grade year was everybody as terrible as those girls, right? And uh-huh. I would not go back and live it for all the tea in China. But, <laughs> um, but to see it this way at a distance, it made it feel more more powerful and more compelling. Yeah, and I know that Moodyson said that it wasn't that he wants to be a teenager, but he does want to recognize within himself that kind of spirit of being open, yeah. open to new things, open to new friends, open yeah, and willing you know. to start a band when you don't even know how to play. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I would love to hear if somebody goes at International Cinema and gets inspired to form a oh, punk absolutely. band I think afterwards. We have a, a gap on campus for Scandinavian yes, punk bands. We need it. Um, okay, now. Um, in keeping with the film, I asked my teenage daughter, who identifies as punk, to come up with some questions for you. So here we've got which character from the film would you team up with in the zombie apocalypse and why? So there are some really good Swedish zombie apocalypse um, stories that I'd have to think about. But, really? Um, I, I, this is tough because... Clara is the fiercest. Uh-huh. I think she really go for it. But Hedwig is the most responsible and sort of level-headed. And so it'd have to be between the two of them. And yet my heart goes out to Bobo. I'm like, maybe I should just pick Bobo because I could protect her in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I love it. Hard to decide. Okay. Um, she wants to know, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Hands down, Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> my kids really like bad movies. Like we uh-huh. watched, we have a list of the, the best bad disaster movies. Right. And we've watched Velocipaster, <laughs> which has some... I have not seen it, <laughs> it is, but... It is amazing. Okay. Um, or Wolf of Snow Hollow, also amazingly bad. Uh-huh. But Aquaman was trying so hard to be good. And it was just so terrible. Yeah. The thing that when I went to it with my son, he was saying... It was there's these musical cues that are like wah, wah, every time something's <laughs> supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also not a fan. I'm yes. OK, good. Um, what's a film that is on your desert island list? This is a tough one because like I have categories of film I watch with my family uh-huh. and categories of film I watch alone. And so if my family was there, it would probably have to be something like Hunt for Red October. Mm. So you know, something that uh-huh. could distract us from being on a desert island. Yeah. Um, but for myself, it might be something more like Babette's Feast. I to love be, that like, movie. Have some grounding and remember that find beauty even in you know exile and uh-huh. you know, making do what you <laughs> have. Inspire you to make something out of coconuts <laughs> exactly on the right. yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, do you have a favorite director? I think it'd have to be Peter Weir. Um, Peter Weir. So not a Swedish director. <laughs> no. An I mean, Australian one. Yeah. I and mean, Peter Weir was, was a formative director for my, or his films were formative for my youth, right? And and seeing how you could take really terrible things like Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yes. Or Mosquito Coast. Uh-huh. Um, and, or Dead Poets Society, for that matter. Yeah. Right. And really trying to grapple with pain and hard things in ways that are not facile in any way. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't resolve things for you, but he presents you with this opportunity to just recognize there are hard things. I love it. I, yeah, I also have a fondness for Peter Weir because in high school, there was a video shop, like a, you know, video cassettes, them I'm old. This is, and, and, but it was like one of those made by a real cinephile who looked a lot like Groucho Marx and they had all the movies organized by country and by director. And so I would just go, I went on my Australia kick and Mm -hmm. then I watched everything that they had by Peter Weir and loved it. Found it super amazing. So, all right, we've got, um, one more question. Since punks are really concerned with posers, um, she wants to know if there are poser film bros, you know, people into film who are maybe just posers. I think a lot of us are posers. I don't know that I even feel qualified to answer, like, who are the posers out there? 
I think it's recognize that people find different things in film. Uh-huh. And I know that there's some films I really, really love that sort of serious cinema aficionados uh-huh. look down on. Like there's a, a live action version of the anime and manga li- um, library wars uh-huh. that I just find absolutely endearing. Uh-huh. And I suggested it for IC and Mark Yamada watched it. He's like, yeah, we don't really... We won't do that. That that level, that caliber of film. It's like, well, am I the poser here? No, we we all have our like, we we all all have our like preferences and our guilty pleasures. And it's, it's fun to like show films, even with our directorial team, you know, with international cinema. Sometimes we show a film that one of the people doesn't like, you know, and the other, but the other feels strongly about. So, And I I think being able to say, I like this, even though you don't like it, is a, a sign of sort of, Autonomous judgment. Yes. It's people who only like the films other people like that I think maybe be the posters. Maybe that's the posters. Yeah. <laughs> that's an excellent ending. So we will end there. But thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast again. Oh, it's always so fun. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas, especially about Aquaman, um, (laughs) expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hayden Underwood, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Look for us on Instagram at BYU underscore IC or on our website, ic.byu.edu. In the meantime, keep seeing great international movies.